Welcome to the morning community of Northridge Vineyard. Our deepest desire is that you will encounter Jesus as you listen in to our morning gathering. If you'd like to find out more about us, check out our website, northridge.org.au forward slash mornings. Well, this, um, this month, if you're like us, we have loved hearing, um, hearing the stories, uh, testimonies um, from different people. And it's, uh, it's, we're so pleased that we're carrying on with that this week. Yes. The theme is sort of community, and so people are sharing their stories within that theme, I believe. And uh, the first person who's coming up to share today is Amanda bon- Bombardieri. <laughs> I'm sorry, Amanda, I knew I was going to get it wrong. <laughs> oh, Kathy dear. found out that she's been uh, mispronouncing um, Amanda's surname for uh, forever. <laughs> so here's Amanda B. <laughs> Yes, it's a safe place. That word was for me. That's I think right. you better pray for Amanda. <laughs> uh, I have known Amanda for a little while, and um, Amanda always brings a smile to my face. I don't know. <laughs> it's possibly our shared heritage that we have a good laugh. <laughs> um, but I, I really appreciate Amanda and think she's fantastic. So let me just pray for you, Amanda. Lord, thank you so much for Amanda. Thank you for Rocco and the beautiful girls uh, who are here too. And we just pray your presence would be with her particularly and with them as she speaks to us this morning. That you would speak through her, Lord, and you would give us ears to hear and hearts open to receive what you have for us today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Can you hear me? Cool. Good morning. Can you hear I think it might have just come off. With a mask, glasses and a mic, I think I was a bit overloaded this morning. So I might just need a little bit of technical help. While we're doing this, I've got to do it. Hi, Mum, in the UK. Fantastic that you're joining. Uh, two, two years I haven't seen her for, so I'm very pleased that she can see me today, even if I can't see you. You're loved. <laughs> um, as you've heard, my name's Amanda. I'm married to Rocco. We've been married for 22 years together, 26, and we have two beautiful daughters, Olivia, who is 15, and Ava, who's just about to turn a teenager in a few weeks' time. So we're going to have a home full of teens. Yay. And I, we love it. We love it. It's a joy. Um, I don't know what any of you felt when, if you've been up here, uh, when Robin Bond contacted you via email or via text, what you felt. I'm going to tell you what I felt. And Bond doesn't know this. We recently met up online and, and I haven't shared any of this with her. My f- <laughs> so I'm so glad that I didn't, first off. Um, my first thought was, oh. <laughs> I'm being really honest. Um, and it wasn't, a, normally that's not my response to Bon, by the way. It's normally a joyful, yay, what are we doing? Are we connecting? Are we going out for lunch? Are we going to connect or meet up? But no, that was definitely not my first response. And then my second was, what on earth am I going to talk about? Like, as many of us, you know, how, where do I start? What do you want me to say? Um, and then <laughs> my third thought was, I, we've been coming to this church for 10 years, and I honestly thought I'd gotten away with it. <laughs> I thought, I've flown under the radar, Bon and Rob have missed me, my husband has done this, he's taken one for Team Bombardieri, he stood up here, I'm all good, Bombardieri, that's how you say my name, just in case you wanted to know. Um, and I thought I was really safe, and uh, no, not the case at all. So then it came round to thinking, okay, so what am I scared about? What am I scared about standing up here? 
you are family. We talk about our community as family. So you are family. Now, some of you may, I may be closer to, you may, may be more like brothers and sisters, but others of you are probably like long-distance cousins twice removed that I have yet to know, but that's okay, and that's good too. So, but this is community. This is our family. So I kind of, you know, what have I got to worry about, really? And the thing that we all share as family together is this one person who loves us and that we adore and love too. So really what I'm talking about is all a reflection of him, his love for me, and his input into my life. And so, you know, that's the focus, and it kind of helped me conquer and step through that fear and anxiety to say, Tabon, yes, I'm going to do this. Okay, this isn't about me. This is all about Jesus. Um, so after that realization, I said yes to Bon. So before I start, God did give me a word. So when I asked him, I said, okay, well, what do you want me to talk about? He gave me one word, which I'll share with you in a minute. Um, but before I get to that, just to give you a tiny bit of um, a Cliff Notes version of my walk with Jesus so far and how I arrived here to give you some context. So I was born and grew up in Cornwall in the UK in a place where many of you would have seen last year on the G7 summit where all the leaders stood on the beach. That's where I come from. That was the beach I grew up on. So it was very weird seeing all these leaders in the Queens on this beach that I spent many years as a, as a teenager on. Um, the most southwesterly county in the UK with a farm to the back of my house and where I could see the sea from my bedroom window. Cornwall has now, of course, been made known by this G7 summit, and I grew up in a home where initially both parents loved Jesus. I knew what speaking in tongues was as I heard people doing this. I went to a Church of England school with, where my headmaster, we didn't call them principals in the UK, they are headmasters to us or headmistresses, uh, was a Christian and was one of the first people I told when I had given my life to Jesus. And we went to initially a house group a house church, which I absolutely love and have these flashes of memories as sort of a five-year-old going with these wonderful, much older women in this beautiful home. And then we moved to a Baptist church. So I knew the gospel. I grew up with it. But more importantly, I knew exactly who Jesus was and what he had done and how he had saved me. And when I was 10 years old, on my top bunk bed at home, I said to my mum that I was ready to commit my life to Jesus and said a prayer, asking for forgiveness for my sins and asked him into my life. My mum then prayed over me and the deal felt sealed. Although I honestly felt that I was already a believer and follower of Jesus already. Then after a series of big life events, one being my parents' divorce, I didn't feel I really understood who God was anymore and drifted a long way away from him for several years. I've always felt I understood the prodigal son's story because I felt like a prodigal daughter. And I think, although there is a lot, I'm doing a Cliff Notes version, there is a whole story of God's salvation and glory in that, but that's not what he wanted me to talk about today. I often thought if God existed, why did all these things, bad things keep happening? I eventually, through a chance meeting with a lot of young people from Hillsong Youth, and it really was a chance meeting, I was here nannying after uni, after studying my law degree, I came over here for a year, I was backpacking, I ended up nannying in Castle Hill, I've been to the city for the day on my own, I did lots of things on my own which I loved, but that day I thought I would have liked to have shared that day with somebody. It wasn't a prayer, I certainly wasn't walking with Jesus, but I got off the bus, heard this music, and being the nosy so-and-so that I was, I went to discover where this music was coming from, and it turned out it was Hillsong Youth. And all these really cool, funky people were there. And I was like, who are you? You know, what are you doing? And then they told me they were Christians. Well, they weren't like Christians I had grown up with. And so it was a bit of a cultural shock, to be honest. <laughs> and hello to my friend who's watching online from Hillsong, who was one of these gorgeous ladies, who was meant to be here today, but her family have COVID, sadly. So praying for them. 
So after a number of years of, of being over here and, and having friendships with them, they continued to pray for me for two years until I recommitted my life back to Jesus in my early 20s. And they were very faithful in their prayer to me. So please know that when you're praying for people in these times, it really does. The seed was already sown, but they helped through their um, you know, relentless prayer to bring me back to Jesus. Like I said, this is a real Cliff Notes version, and there is a lot more so much more to this life of Jesus in that time and my journey. But I felt that God gave me a word to share about a later part of this journey that is more recent. And the word he gave me was arrows. And let me just tell you, he was relentless in this word. I said, are you sure? And it just kept coming up and coming up and coming up. And he just did not let this word go. And when we think of arrows, or when I do, I think of a weapon forged that when shot from a bow pierces true and straight. And when it hits its target, it penetrates deeply. And that is what I want to share with you this morning. Last February, I had to have some surgery that I was not looking forward to, to rectify an operation that had gone wrong almost four years ago. I'm not going to pretend that I was brave. I remember having a conversation with Bon, who was so gorgeous, and her words, she probably doesn't know, meant a lot. But she said, bravery isn't not, not doing it. It's doing it anyway and feeling that fear and walking through it. And trust me, I really did not want this surgery. <laughs> and I didn't feel brave at all. I asked members of my former life group if they could pray and send me verses or words that I could take into the hospital with me, which they did, which was amazing. And that coupled with a verse that someone, Kathy Hawkes, gave me directly in church is what I had handwritten down on both sides of a piece of paper and took with me to church. And I read it in the car and just meditated on it and prayed on these verses and words. And I had some directly to me and different people had given them to me. I kept that paper with me and read them a lot while waiting in the pre-op rooms. One verse that stood out more than others from Psalm 46 verse 10 was, be still and know that I am God. Now it could be because it was the shortest verse out of all the ones that were given to me. And in my fear-addled brain of not wanting this surgery, that was the one that I held on to. So when I was traveling down to the theater and I gave my paper back to my husband, that was the verse that I still had in my heart, that I just held on to, and it meant so much. The surgical team were great and all tried to reassure me. I mean, I sobbed the whole way down to theatre, and the poor anaesthetist assistant was trying to you know, distract me and tell me funny stories, and, I, and in the end he said, look, we all know what's happened, we promise we're going to look after you. So they were very lovely as a team. They were not warm and fuzzy people, as you know, probably lots of surgeons that you've met are not warm and fuzzy people, but they gave me what I needed in that moment. The operation went well, and I remember recovery this time, and I recovered well over the months that followed. Thank you, God. This operation was needed because the one before in February 2018 had not gone to plan at all. I was going in for a fairly routine operation via keyhole surgery and was told I'd probably need only one night in hospital. However, the next thing I knew after surgery was waking up in ICU with tubes everywhere and seeing Rock's face, thank goodness his was the first that I saw, and knowing I was not in a normal ward or in recovery and just said to him, what's happened? After he explained, I'd lost a lot of blood, and I don't really much remember much else about the first 24 hours post that op. I was on extremely strong pain medication and other medication. The following morning, very, very early, what is it with surgeons coming in at 5.45 in the morning, well, came in to see me. 
My surgery went on longer than planned, and the team had left the theatre open for me the day before because they thought I was still bleeding internally. So they hadn't been able to see me early in this. He explained what had happened, that an artery wasn't where it was supposed to be, and he had hit it and not been able to stop the bleed via keyhole. So he'd had to convert to open surgery. I'd lost about a quarter of my blood and had a blood transfusion and later discovered I had to be resuscitated. Then he started shaking his head and told me when he had come to do the blood transfusion that my exact blood type was in the room. Now, for those of you that are not medical experts, that's a big deal. In that moment, despite the early hour, the, my pain and the medication I was on, I felt an arrow of truth shot into my spirit that I knew, without a doubt, that Jesus had been in the room with me, that I hadn't been alone. I later confirmed this again when Rocco and I went back for our follow-up appointments and he was with me and I was no longer on any pain meds. This was weeks after. He confirmed it again. He still offered no explanation as to why my particular blood was left in that theatre and why it was there. But he did say that he was thinking of changing his policy that blood was close by or in the room. So some of you might ask, why is this unusual? Well, I was first on the operating list. Theatres are checked and clean the night before ready for the day of surgery. Things are counted in and out. Every item is counted, and if and when blood is needed in an emergency situation, it is called out of the room for and delivered to the room. And this blood type is the universal blood type, O negative. Many nurses have since confirmed this with me, as did he. In fact, one of my, my Christian friends who is a nurse, had been a nurse for decades, said this is impossible. Well, I know the God's the, of the impossible, right? And he is the God of the impossible and that the bag of blood was ready and waiting for me when I needed it. I'm A positive. That never happens. You don't get a bag of your own blood when you're in an emergency situation in hospital. When reflecting on this for the talk today, I also connected why perhaps I love this verse, be still and know that I am God. Because when I was in that operating theatre, and I was as still as you could get under general anaesthetic, I could not advocate for myself. I could not pray for myself. I was as still as I could be, but God was God. God knew what I needed when I didn't, when no one outside the bubble of that room knew what was happening to me, but God did know. He provided for me in a uniquely intimate way, saying, you are known, Amanda, down to your blood type. This operation had gone wrong because when I was 30, my appendix had ruptured, this is, this is a long history of surgeries here, by the way, guys. I'm taking you through an arc of journeys, but God is victorious in this. Um, after seeing three doctors in the UK, the first two had my, misdiagnosed my symptoms, and finally the third doctor sent me to A&E, saying, I don't know what's wrong with you. I think you need to go now. The doctor in A&E discovered that even though the pain had stopped, I was very sick with what's called peritonitis, and some of you might have, caught, have known of that. The fluid had become infectious, leaking around my body, and the surgeon who operated said it had spread everywhere, and I had about 24 hours to live. This had caused internal scarring, and had moved the artery that the surgeon had subsequently hit in February 2018, where it was supposed to be. Unbalanced to rock and I at the time, this scarring had scarred my womb, as well as other areas internally. We then spent the next three years trying for children, only to be disappointed month after month with negative test results. 
Anyone who has done this journey knows it's a roller coaster. And after having done a number of tests, we decided to get the help of a fertility consultant and pay to go to a private hospital in the UK to try and get help to fall pregnant. I know many people in this church have travelled this really difficult infertility, fertility journey. And I'd like to say it is a roller coaster. Actually, on reflection, it's not, because on a roller coaster, there are peaks and troughs. When you're trying for a kid, when you're trying for babies, they're all the troughs. There's only one peak, and that's the peak when you fall pregnant. So it was a long, arduous road, but our church back in the UK, they journeyed that road with us through all the pain. They wept with me when I wept month after month of getting negative results. Obviously, there's a positive end because I've already told you I've got children. <laughs> kind of gave the, the line away. Cheat. Anyway, we were a part of Bournemouth Vineyard at the time, and I was working four days a week with one day off. On this day, I used to attend a women's Bible study life group type of a thing. Um, it kind of was what it was, was. You know, you kind of turned up. It depended how the, what the flavor was, what was happening. The week before the operation, a lady in the group had offered to pray with me and just to, said, drop round if that's what I wanted. The two women who co-led this Bible study group lived side by side in this street in Bournemouth. And for some strange reason, I could never quite get the right house for the right person. And I have a really good memory. I can go somewhere once and I remember, but I could never, I could never get the houses right. So I turned up at Christy's house only to be met by Kath because it was her house I had turned up to. Kath explained Christy was out and invited me in and said she was happy to pray for me because this is how gorgeous they were. We talked while she prepared lunch, and then she prayed for me. She invited me to stay for lunch after we had picked up her preschooler from a half day of school. Jess was almost five. We picked up Jess. We'd stopped talking about any conversations to do with my surgery or babies or anything to do with that. Jess went upstairs and came down for lunch. As we sat down for lunch, she leaned over, Jess, and whispered something to her mum. Kath asked if she could tell me what Jess had said, and she turned to me and said, Jess has just said you're going to have a baby. This was three years after trying, and many people in our church had prayed with us, and we're really careful, aren't we, about adult to adult giving directive words or saying, yes, you're really going to have a baby. Well, this four-year-old hadn't got that memo. There was no agenda with her. There was no nothing. She just spoke through the Spirit was speaking through her. Now, the reason I recognised that second era of truth in hospital, because it was, this was when I felt the first one. And what I felt in that moment was this arrow of truth had been shot across the table from Kath's words into my spirit, and I recognised truth. My spirit recognised it as true, and my spirit said, yes, I know. I felt the first sense of peace in three years to know that I was going to have a baby. Now, Jess hadn't quantified this with a date. Oh, how I would have loved a date at that time. I had no way of knowing if it was going to be one year from that moment or another five or another three. We didn't know. But somehow it didn't matter because I knew truth. The following week, my mum came up from Cornwall to support me when I went in for my operation. All three of us went in. The surgeon came in the room in his suit with the whole team and explained what he would be doing and that I would be staying the night. With that, Rock went home to pick up my overnight bag, and I had a few more tests in the hospital. About 40 minutes later, the surgeon came back in the room, now in scrubs, saying that, unfortunately, my operation was not able to go ahead. I couldn't believe it, and thought, what now? He told me that I was pregnant. Based on what I told him before, we worked out that I was already six weeks pregnant. 
Well, for someone who can talk quite a lot, I was speechless for about 10 minutes, and my mum had to take over. I hadn't realised up until that point, three people that week had asked me if I was pregnant, including my mum, because I looked so well. And I didn't recognise any of the signs, because when you've been trying for so long, why would you? So the week before, when Jess had said I was going to have a baby, I was in fact going to have a baby. I was already pregnant when she said this. I had no clue. All the years of praying, God had always been listening. He knew things I didn't know at the time and have subsequently come to discover. And that's how God works, isn't it? He's outside of time. We're on this linear path. We think this is where we're going. But actually, when he looked, he knew what was going on in my body, and he knew I needed to heal after the peritonitis. And that took some time. God's timing isn't something I understood when I was going through it, to be honest. I got pretty upset and cross with him in the waiting. But he knew things at the time I didn't. And he can take it when we get cross. I think sometimes we forget that, but he could take it. And he understood my pain. It is still a bit of a miracle that I got pregnant at all. And both my miracle girls are here today. <laughs> we caught up with Jess, Kath, and her family. We're now bonded for life. The interesting thing is Jess doesn't remember a thing about it. Not one thing. She doesn't remember saying it or the impact of her words that she had. But Kath and I will always remember it. And always, forever, I will be grateful that God took time to send his words through that little girl. And here is a picture of Liv and Jess, a very precious picture of when we went back to the UK last time. That was a few years ago now. She's in uni now. <laughs> I also want to say that when I was preparing this again, I was meant to do this last July, I really felt God saying to me, don't look at those two things and think I'm more or less worthy than any of you. That yes, when he's done these huge things in my life, and they are huge things, they are miracles. He does miracles in small ways in each of us all the time. So please don't let those words of the enemy try and tell you that you aren't worth enough. Because he knows your blood type. He knows every hair on your head the same way that he knows mine. He knows us intimately. Every single aspect of our lives and our bodies he knew what I needed when I needed it and reminded me of his sovereignty through the arrows of truth shot into my spirit. This is not just for me, but for all of us. And I felt at the time of writing, there are a few people who really need to hear this message. I want to end on the psalm that I think is possibly one of my favorites. Even if, even if these things hadn't happened to me, they show me and all of us God's feelings towards us. This is Psalm 139. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. 
Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand when I awake. I am still with you. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you so much, Amanda. Can I just pray for you? Yes. Lord, I, um, we, we thank you for uh, Amanda's story and, um, well, just for part of the story that we heard. And, uh, Lord, we just pray your blessing on her and Rocco and the girls and on Anne in the UK as well, Lord. And uh, we just thank you for your faithfulness and your love. In Jesus' name. Amen. I think we'll have to have Amanda back because a few times she said these were notes. That... <laughs> um, someone else. Well, uh, there is a precedent. Someone being asked back. Marcus. I think you've done this before, haven't you, Marcus? And you are so good. Either that or we're giving you a second chance. What are... <laughs> ah, can I just pray for you? Lord, I just pray for your peace to fall on Marcus now, Lord, that uh, you'd calm his mind, his thoughts, and uh, bless him as he, uh, as he shares with us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah, I don't know whether I'm, I'm back because I need to redeem myself or because I, <laughs> I think no one learnt the first time around. I don't know. But, um, what was that? <laughs> I love these services in where we get to hear so much about other people. It's a really, I just find it really inspiring and, uh, and, and really exciting. Um, so my name's Marcus, uh, my wife Nikki, uh, and I, we probably live closer to this building than most of you do, yet somehow we manage to always be the last here. <laughs> we live in Dartford Road, so we're only just up the street. And we have uh, four kids. They are um, uh, three boys and a girl, Josiah, Noah, Isaac and Eve. And they range in age from sort of 24 down to 17. Uh, and uh, you, you often see me, I'm, I'm sometimes drumming, not loud enough, according to Rob, but I'm getting better. Um, and I was thinking about the, uh, the community, excuse me, the community and what it, what it means and what it means to us. Because we've lived in Normanhurst for Normanhurst sort of Thornley area since um, the late, oh, maybe 96, something like that. Um, our kids have all grown up here. They've all gone to school here. Um, Normanhurst West, Barker, um, Pennant Hills, Pennant Hills High, Waitara. Um, and Nikki, my wife, she's uh, teaches, or well, she was up until recently, she's on long service leave, but teaches at Thornley West. And so we were very involved in the community. The 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 boys have played soccer for you know, the Normanhurst Eagles. They played cricket for Normanhurst, played soccer for Pennant Hills. Um, Evie dances with the local dance um, troupe. They're, they're very embedded. And, and I was really interesting when you said, Kath, about safety. It's, it's interesting what being a part of that community means in that you can go to anywhere. We'll go to the shops and there's somebody who knows Nick. Or we'll go to the shops and there's someone who knows one of the boys or who knows Eve. And everywhere you go, there's people who know you and people who know, um, you know where you belong. And, and um, it does provide an enormous amount of safety. 
and which has been really interesting for for us just to to to, to be that. And and they've also worked. So um, the boys are worked up at Pennant Hills Pub and the RSL. Um, and Evie and uh, a couple of the others work at Bunnings and you might be interested to know that there are a number of people who go to Bunnings fairly regularly on Sunday mornings after church uh, and the, the, the leading frequent flyer in case you're wondering in terms of visits to Bunnings after church is actually Nick Saunders. So <laughs> if you're watching Nick, you've been, we've been busted. <laughs> So we, we you, know, you get the rundown of where everybody is at it, but it's great because so if you ever go up at Bunnings and you see either Eve or Isaac there, that's who they are. Um, they we also have two dogs, uh, a Cavoodle and the other one that came from a rescue. Um, he's big brown. Um, when people ask what sort of dog he is, I say he's stupid, but that's kind of the, um, he's a bit of bit of a mix, mixture, but. So, so where, where this kind of touches on me and what I've learned, especially in the context of community, is that um, I worked for myself for most of the last 20 years running a business providing training in IT management. Um, and I ended up there through a, a number of uh, uh, circumstances that, that, that God was very strongly behind. This gradually faded out and I, I started working as a contracted trainer for an, another organisation um, and which was, and I enjoyed doing that. Um, early in 2020, a, a role came up through one of this company's customers, which was uh, not in training, but it was right in my sweet spot in terms of my background, my experience, what I'd done. You know, it, it was it was the perfect role, but it wasn't really in training. And I enjoyed the, the training was three days a week, and I kind of wanted a part-time role, but. It was only for three months, uh, and it was great. So I thought, okay, well, I'll take it. So I took this role, uh, in uh, it, which was, as I said, it was just a three-month part-time contract. Uh, well, they wanted full-time, so it became a three-month full-time contract. And then three three weeks later, COVID hit. And of course, when COVID hit, training just disappeared. There was nothing. There was there would have been no training being done because nobody wanted to be anywhere near other people. Um, so without that, um, I, I don't know what I would have done. Uh, maybe worked up at Bunnings. Um, and uh, the, um, that, that three-month contract became an, was an absolute gift because um, I went, what happened was that it was with a government organisation, so that three-month contract, contract lasted for 21 months, as contracts with the government tend to do. Um, and uh, I've, I've always been... When I started the business before, I was very strongly aware God saying, I will provide, which he did. He has provided, and he took me from what could have been a very precarious situation into you know, a role which carried me through all of that period. Um, where that fits in with community is because working for myself, I'm, I'm by myself. You know, I was running a business, and there was just me. Uh, and then what happened when I started working in an organization was I found that... Um, there were things that I did because they just needed to be done. Um, and the things that I did running my own business, I do working for an organisation. But all of a sudden, I'm with a team of people. I'm in a group of people. I'm in a, you know, an organisation. And they would see these things that I do. Marcus, that's fantastic. That's really good the way you do that. You know, it's really, it's really helpful. And for me, it was just, well, you know, there'd be a project, there'd be an approval which just wasn't happening. So I'd just talk to people. You'd ring somebody up, what about this? And then you'd speak to someone, you'd find out what the solution was and you'd, get it, and you'd, and you'd make it, keep it rolling. But, which is what I needed to do. But being in, a, being in that organisation, they just didn't do that. 
Um, and the flip side of it also was that as well as becoming aware of my strengths, I also become aware of my weaknesses. And, and things like um, I could be a bit ruthless when it came to prioritisation and things either needed to get done or they could just be ignored, which of course doesn't work. You know, you need to manage that properly. The point is that now that I'm in a community, after not having been in one for 20 years at a professional level, I'm learning so much. Um, I'm learning so much about myself. I'm learning so much about um, what I'm good at, what I'm, not, what, I, what I'm not good at. And it's been a complete revelation to me after saying, I love working for myself, but I don't want to work for anyone else again. Um, to get back into this community has been really, um, it's been a, a great thing for me. And, and, and thinking back over my, um, my Christian walk, I've found that the times when I've grown the most or when I've learnt the most have always been when you're in a strong community. Um, and, and one of the, uh, the most critical parts for my Christian walk was I was involved in a beach mission down in Kiama. And it was, Kiama Beach Mission was a teenage mission. It was one of the first of its kind. This was in um, maybe the late 80s. Uh, and they didn't, so it wasn't, if anyone's been involved in beach missions, you know, you get up early in the morning um, and you have to go for a, they, they have, or they used to have, um, some would dress up as, I don't know, a Disney character and they'd have a big rope behind them and they'd walk along the beach and all the kids would grab the rope. Did anybody ever see these or do this? Yeah, you know, that kind of thing. And they were, very, they were family missions. They were very focused on, on family. The one I worked on was very teenage, uh, was entirely teenage focused. And so we had a team that were all in a very strict age group, sort of, you know, we were all not strict, but a very um, specific age group. So all sort of from maybe 17 up to... 30, 35, that kind of age, um, and it was a very, uh, uh, how would I say, it was a very unusual group of people, a lot of very different people who were all put together for, to be down there and to attract teenagers, and the whole focus was on, you know, we'd run these um, concerts each night and bring people along to the concerts, we'd just approach people and talk to them, and, and in that was where I learned so much about um, uh, the Holy Spirit, about worship, about um, speaking in tongues, about the effectiveness of prayer, because you're in a community of people where it's safe um, and you could try these things out. And we were going out and doing these things and then we'd come back and we'd worship and we'd... Um, and and the, the, actually the, the, the word that I, I really had for this morning was that, that it's safe and that it's a great place to grow, it's a great place to learn. And that's what I've found from... When my kids in this community, it's a safe place to grow up. When you're learning about myself as a person, you're in a community and it's safe. When learning about who God is, again, it's the safety that's there. Um, and so I guess uh, what to do with that? I thought I just want to encourage you, I guess, that if one of the best ways to grow is to, is to find people who will, who are, who will give you feedback and who you can receive it from. So that's pretty much my message for this morning or my, my bit for this morning. I'm sure we'll get you back to have another go, Marcus. That's, that was great. Uh, as you stood up, I, I had a word uh, for, for you and for Nikki, actually, and it was um, understated but significant. And I really felt that you, um, that you and your family have an influence in the community. Uh, I know you do here, 
but also just in terms of work and uh, and uh, you bring a spirit. Uh, it's a gentle spirit, but it's a it's a powerful spirit. So, Lord, I, I pray that you would uh, that you would be with Marcus and with his family. That you would bless them, and uh, Lord, that they will keep their eyes fixed on you. And um, Lord, as they as they go about their uh, their day to day lives, Lord, that they would carry you and that they would continue to be salt and light to the people around them. In Jesus' name, Amen. Thanks.